Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Church, it has been such a great weekend already, but it is not over. I'm so thrilled that you're joining us from wherever you're joining us from. So many from our online campus have driven so many miles to be here today. We want to say thank you for coming to our family reunion. Give it up for them right now one more time before you head home. We're thrilled to get to hang out a little bit in person, and we're thankful that you are part of our campus online. You probably recognize... This man right here, even if you don't know his name, he's known as Pope Benedict XVI. His name is Joseph Ratzinger. He was the pope that was elected April the 19th, 2005. He served in the papacy until 2013, one of only two popes in all of history that left that office still alive. He retired from the papacy, making way for the current pope, Pope Francis. Now, you may be Catholic, you may not be Catholic. If you're not Catholic, I'll bet you've heard these names. Uh, You're probably familiar in some way with the name Pope Benedict, uh, Pope Francis. Now, while you've heard those names, you probably have never heard of this guy's name right here, Rogers Cadenhead. You probably never heard that name, but he really is a real person. He has actually a Wikipedia page. He has some notoriety. Uh, There's several things he's known for. First of all, he's known for being a really smart guy. He's known for being a really, really smart computer guy. And one of the things he's known for is this is the guy that months and months ahead of time actually correctly guessed the title of the next pope. Before there was a Benedict XVI, he had correctly guessed the next pope would be titled Benedict XVI. And in so doing, he secured the rights to the domain benedictthe16th.com. So when Joseph Ratzinger chose the title Benedict XVI, naturally the Vatican wanted this domain, and they wanted it bad. So they actually email him, asking him to sell them the domain, benedictthe16th.com, and they were willing to pay $20,000 to get it. This is how he responded to the Vatican. I will give you this website and the domain, but please, can I have these things? Number one. I want a hat like the Pope wears. (laughs) Number two, I want a free stay at the Vatican Hotel. I don't care if you're Catholic or not. That would be awesome. And number three, I want complete absolution, no questions asked, for the third week of March, 1987. (laughs) Now, one has to begin asking the question. The obvious question is, what in the world happened? the third week of March, 1987. What did this guy do? That he would rather have complete absolution of whatever happened the third week of March, 1987, than $20,000. And this really happened. And guess what? They never came to terms. (laughs) They never struck a deal. (laughs) He didn't get the $20,000 and he didn't get complete absolution either. One has to ask, though, what in the world did he do that he's willing to trade 20K for complete absolution of the third week of March, 1987? Uh, Here's the reality, just so there's no confusion. Just just to be clear, 
The Pope can't grant forgiveness of sins. No man can grant forgiveness of sins. No mere mortal can grant forgiveness of sins. No church can grant forgiveness of sins. Just to be clear, Jesus alone can grant forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the one that died for our sin and rose again. He alone is the only mediator between God and men. First Timothy 2 and verse 5, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We need an advocate indeed with the Father. But 1 John 2, 1 says Jesus is the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He has the power to forgive our sin. And don't be confused, we all need absolution of our sins. That means complete exoneration. That means we need to be declared innocent before God of our sin if indeed one day we're gonna go to heaven. But don't miss the point. The bigger point of this is every person here and every person watching right now online, you have somewhere in your life, somewhere in your past, maybe two weeks ago, maybe 20 years ago, maybe the third week of March 1987, you have an area of regret. We all do. Nobody gets to pass through this life with a spotless record. Nobody makes it through this life with an unblemished record. We all have areas of our life that when we look back on, we have regret. Like, I wish I could get a do-over. I'm not proud of that. Hey, incidentally, I mean, ironically, I'm old enough to remember the third week of March 1987. I know what was going on the third week of March 1987. It was spring break. I don't have to use my imagination. I think I know what he's talking about. It's a time of my own life. I'm not proud of. In fact, I look back on that season of my life with regret. I wasn't living for Jesus. I was far, far from God. I was the prodigal son living in the pig pen of sin. The third week of March, 1987, we all have seasons of our life that we look back on, and honestly, it brings us some pain, some shame, some regret, and we need forgiveness of God. We need more than anything in life to be in a right standing before God. And what I want you to know is that when you have been forgiven by God of your sin, made possible through the blood of the Son of God, that he died for your sin, you put your faith in him, and I want you to understand when he forgives your sin, check this out, he not only forgives you of your sin, but he redeems you from all the shame of your sin and the guilt of your sin. You see, guilt and shame are two things Satan uses to keep us from living the abundant life in Christ. And there's a, one of the things that our counseling center deals with the most, and sometimes I'll ask our lead counselors, like, I don't need to know names, just tell me what people are dealing with. I tell, I kind of know what's going on in the body and what people are struggling with. It helps me shepherd you better, pastor you better. One of the things they tell me of the thousands of appointments they make every year, one of the things they deal with most in our counseling center is, I know I've been forgiven by God, but I just can't seem to forgive myself. I mean, that is a key hang-up. That's a key hitch a lot of people deal with. I know I've been forgiven by God, but I just can't seem to forgive myself. Sometimes sins that have been long since forgiven, sometimes sins 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the third week of March, 1987, and today is the day I want to talk about the need to forgive yourself. Friday night, this altar was packed with people asking God's forgiveness, confessing their sin. Last night, we baptized 70 people who made a public profession of faith that they believe Jesus died for their sin and rose again. And once you've been forgiven by God, there comes a point where it's time to forgive yourself. That's what I'm going to talk about today, the need to forgive ourselves. Because if you don't, Satan will steal from you everything God wants to give you. John 10 and verse 10. 
Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life, and you can have it more abundantly. That would make a great name for a church, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, see, Jesus came to give us life abundantly, but Satan comes to steal from us personally. He's a thief that wants to steal your victory. He wants to steal your freedom. He wants to steal your liberty. He wants to hold you in captivity practically, experientially, even though Jesus has redeemed you from sin's penalty at the cross of Calvary. And the way he does that is to get you to live your entire life in guilt and shame. Guilt and shame are never from God. Guilt is when you hate what you did, but shame is when you hate what you are. And that never comes from above. It always comes from the accuser of the brethren. You understand, the name Satan means accuser. That's what the name means. Revelation 12 says he is the accuser of the brethren. See, he is the one that brings prosecution. He's the one that brings accusation. He's the one that says you don't deserve to be loved. You don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve the grace of God. You're not worthy. Oh, no, you will never live up to it. You can't really be a good Christian. You see, that comes from your adversary, the enemy of your soul. God's promise is that when he forgives our sin, we are free from all guilt and we are free from all shame. Jesus said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed, meaning you are absolved of the third week of March 1987, whenever that season was in your life, whether it was two days ago, two weeks ago, 20 years ago, you are free not just from sin's penalty, you are free from all the guilt and all the shame associated with that sin. You are exonerated completely. God has declared you innocent of sin. As a child of God that's been born again, I want you to see there's a promise here, Micah 6, or Micah 7 and verse 19. Now, this week, when you start feeling shame over your past, and you start feeling guilt over sins you know God has forgiven, I want you to hang on to this promise from the prophet Micah, Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. See, God's never going to say, uh-uh, I forgave you last week, never again. Mm-mm, I'm done. No, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says he will have compassion again. He has compassion on his children. I don't know how you see God. A lot of people see God as a God of condemnation. No, Jesus said in John three sixteen that God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John three seventeen. for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. See, God is for your salvation. He's not standing now as a, as a, as a child of God as he's looking at you in condemnation. He has compassion on us. And he will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. It says you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now here's the imagery, the metaphor Micah is using is that God will take our sins and he will cast them into the depths of the sea. Now, I, I've lived in the Midwest all my life, which means I have not been in the open ocean very often. Once in a while, I've been on the open ocean, don't know a lot about it. Uh, you know, I've been you know, deep sea fishing a time or two and you know, went on a, a little bit of a cruise at one time in my life. I've been on the open ocean, not much, but this I know, having been on the open ocean just a little bit, if you throw something overboard, it ain't coming back. It is gone forever. 
It is gone forever. Micah is trying to tell you, when God forgives you, he takes your sins, he casts them into the depths of the sea. It is gone. It is lost forever. I'm trying to tell you today, for some of us, we need to let God take our sins and cast them into the depths of the sea. Addiction. For some of us here, it's addiction. Listen, regeneration is not just for somebody that has an addiction. You know why? Because I'm convinced we all got issues. Some of us are more obvious in our issues than others, but we all got issues. For some of us, it's addiction. Listen carefully. God knows your shame, but he calls you by your name. Satan knows your, sh- your name and calls you by your shame. Listen, if you struggle with addiction, that is not your identity as a child of God. That is not your name. It is time to let God destroy that shame, cast it into the depths of the sea. Somebody here committed adultery, infidelity. Let me tell you, it's awful. It is a sin. Satan lied to you. He deceived you. Listen carefully. Adultery is never intimacy. It is intensity, and they're not the same thing. It's a counterfeit reality. Don't misunderstand. But there's no sin too big that God can't forgive. And when God forgives your sin, he eliminates your shame. It's time to let God take that sin and cast it into the depths of the sea. There's somebody here today, you had an abortion. It's a secret sin. You committed in secrecy 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And Satan has used that sin to bring you shame and guilt. Years and years later, you've confessed it to God. It's under the blood of Jesus Christ. It has been forgiven. And Satan continues to bring accusation It's amazing the people I've met in 22 years of pastoral ministry, people that have deeply impacted my life, sometimes in just a short amount of time, two or three years, and then they're gone. One of those men was a man named Dan. I met him years ago. By the time I met Dan, he was well into his 80s. He was a very elderly, elderly man. We've been taking evangelistic DVDs. That's how long ago this was. DVDs, you remember those? We'd made this evangelistic DVD, and as a church, we had a goal of putting that on the door of every home in Lee Summit. We did. When we got done with all the doors in Lee Summit, we went to Raytown, another suburb in Kansas City, if you're not from Kansas City. Dan lived in Raytown. He got one of those DVDs. He'd never been to church. He resisted church. He'd been far from God all of his life. He watched this DVD. He came to church one day. I got an email from Dan before I'd even met him, and and the email was this, Pastor Phil, You said God could forgive all of our sins. Are you serious that God can forgive our every single sin? I emailed him back, and of course I said, well, yes, there's no sin too great that God can't forgive. He forgives all of our sins, 100% of our sins. When we ask him to forgive our sin, put our faith in Jesus, that he died for our sin and rose again. He made an appointment. He asked if he could come see me personally, and I met with Dan in my office, and for the first time I met him, very elderly man up in his 80s, It was in my office that he told me his story. He said, when I came home from the Korean War, I slept with my girlfriend. We would later get married. But she got pregnant out of wedlock. And we aborted our baby. And then his his voice began to break and tears began rolling down his 85-year-old face. He could barely talk, and he said, Pastor Phil, I killed my son. And he had lived with that sin 
for decade after decade after decade. He lived with the guilt of that sin. See, this is what we do sometimes. This is how we deal with our shame. We just stuff it. We, we fold it up. We put it in a pocket, and we walk around with it year after year after year after year. And we live with that guilt, and we live with that shame. And that's what this man, Dan, had done until he heard the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for his sin and rose again. And on that day, he confessed a sin that no one had ever heard. No, he'd never shared that with anyone. It had caused him so much shame. But on that day, he confessed his sin before God. And God took that sin and he cast it into the depths of the sea to never be seen again. Exonerated of sin. And Dad would, Dan would pass away. Today he's in heaven about two years later. See, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to stuff your sin. Whatever that March 1987 is for you, God wants you to live with freedom. He wants you to know he not just delivered you from sin's penalty, that you don't have to walk with the guilt and the stain and all of that shame. Psalm 38 and verse 1, King David is lamenting the third week of March 1987. He's lamenting that season of his life in Psalm chapter 38. Now, if you don't know who David is, David wrote most of the Psalms, the largest book in the entire Bible. David was the greatest king in all of Israel's history. He's described by God himself as a man after my own heart, but the man with the heart of God would fall deep into sin. You see, nobody gets an exemption. There's not one among us that is not capable of any sin known to man. Even David, the one that God said, would have my heart. You have David that God promised one day one of his seed, one of his sons, would sit on his throne forever. And Jesus is indeed that promised son. He was known as the son of David. It's a messianic title because the Lord Jesus Christ would trace his earthly lineage back to this man David. And David is lamenting a horrible, horrible, sinful season of his life. And you can read his biography in the book of 1 Samuel, book of 2 Samuel, and you can see David, through the course of his life, had seasons of sin. And probably, we don't know for sure, he's probably lamenting here that season of sin with Bathsheba. He committed adultery. Got another man's wife pregnant. And then to cover up his sin, he had that, man's, or had that wife's man, oh, his husband murdered, Uriah. I mean, Uriah was one of his best men, one of his mighty men, has him murdered to cover up that sin with Bathsheba. See, these stories are in the Bible. God is honest even about the heroes in the Bible, the heroes of the faith. You know why? He's honest about them because he wants us to be honest about ourselves. And David is not unlike any one of us, and he's now lamenting his sin Look at what it says in Psalm 38 and verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. Now what David is describing here is conviction. Conviction of sin comes from God, but condemnation comes from Satan. See, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. 
David is describing here the conviction that happens when we sin. Like, I feel the hand of God pressing me down. And it feels like uh, he is shooting my heart with arrows. In other words, our sin and that conviction pierces our heart. That's how God wants us to respond. God has given us, as the children of God, who have placed our faith in the Son of God, God has given us the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came to live inside of us. And he's called the Holy Spirit for a reason. Because he is sinless, which means when we sin, the Spirit of God within us brings conviction of that sin and pierces our heart when we sin. Listen, I don't worry as a pastor about people who say, Pastor Phil, I'm a Christian, but I still struggle with sin. Yes, we all do. I worry about the people who say they're a Christian and when they sin, there's no struggle. See, there's a lot of people sitting in church today that profess Christ, they don't really possess Christ. They got religion, that's all they got. But they never become a new creation. In David's case, this is a man of God and God's not gonna let him get away with his sin. He's gonna bring conviction. Listen, when you sin, God's not gonna let you win. You may win for a while. You may have a blast, but it won't last. See, as a child of God, you got the Spirit of God. He's gonna bring conviction on you when you sin. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives, and he that is without chastening is an illegitimate son, an illegitimate daughter, meaning if you're really a child of God, you've really, as Jesus said, been born again as a child of God, you truly put your faith in him when you sin. He's gonna chasten you. That's the conviction you feel when you sin. And if you can sin and feel no conviction, you know what God says? It's because you're an illegitimate child. What's that mean? You're not really one of mine. You say you are, but you're not really one of mine. In the same way, your little ones could act up right in front of me and completely live in sin and rebellion, throw a temper tantrum. I know what I'd do if they were my children, but they're not my children. I'm not going to correct your child. You know why? Because they're not mine. God is saying this, if you're not one of mine, I'm not going to discipline you. But if you are, you will be convicted by the Spirit of God when you sin. Why? Because he wants you to repent of your sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you see David now describing is conviction, but that's different than condemnation. See, condemnation is different than conviction. Conviction comes from the Spirit of God. Condemnation comes from your adversary, the devil. Condemnation is about accusation, meaning when you've confessed your sin and you know you're forgiven by God of your sin, but you still feel the condemnation of sin and you still feel the guilt of sin and you still feel the shame associated with sin, you know right away that does not come from your Father in heaven. That comes from the devil, the accuser, and adversary of your soul. He wants to hold you in captivity and bondage to your past so you're never set free to live all that God made you to be in the present. Now listen, he goes on, verse three. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And if you read this entire psalm, a lot of the psalm is David describing the physically debilitating effects of having carried the sin. 
I want you to see something. Listen very carefully. The guilt and shame caused by sin are not only a toxin to the soul, but also a toxin to the body. I mean, he's actually describing a physically debilitating condition because he has carried this guilt and this shame for so long. It's been clinically proven when you carry lots and lots of stress and duress, there are chemicals that are released in your body that eventually will be debilitating. And that's the nature of sin. Listen, as a child of God, your body, soul, and spirit The spirit is that part of you that is in union with God's spirit. Your soul is the mind, the will, the emotions, your moral conscience. It's it's your emotions. And do you understand what is being taught here is that if you live in sin and you live with the shame of even past sin, eventually it's debilitating not just emotionally and mentally, but even physically. It begins to affect your health. And that's what David is now describing, now he goes on. Look at what it says in verse five. My wounds are foul and festering. He's speaking here of, of just a, a festering wound. Not maybe physically, but, but certainly emotionally. We're not sure. But just imagine just a, a nasty infection. And that's what sin does in our life, especially even sins forgiven, the shame and the infection that begins to take place. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I'm troubled and I'm bowed down greatly and I go mourning all the day long. This is my zero turn and this is my pond. Now I've confessed off and on through the years, you can bring up my sin that I still struggle with is in the heat of the moment, I can, I can let one slip, okay? Now you know what I'm talking about. This is the kind of stuff that makes one slip, all right? Now here, here's what I'm thinking in this moment. This was a while back. How foolish, foolish. I don't believe I did it again. I have done this over and over and over again. How did I get back here again? I'm stuck. You ever thought, hey, this is David. We know that he's moving now from conviction to condemnation. He says, it's because of my foolishness, I'm a fool, I'm an idiot, I can't believe I did this. I knew better than, I can't believe I fell for this again. You ever thought that to yourself? How did I get here again? He's no longer simply under the conviction of God, he's calling himself a fool. I'm an idiot. Now he's self-loathing. And uh, in this moment, this is kind of, this, here's what I'm thinking. I had just had a conversation on a Sunday morning with a guy in our church out in that foyer because he had just been stuck in his pond in his zero turn. I don't know how it came up, just conversation. I don't even know why we're swapping stories about zero turns, but he told me, man, this week, yeah, and I got stuck because everybody who drives a zero turn eventually gets stuck, okay? We got zero turn stories. We're swapping stories. He just told me about getting his zero turn buried in his pond, and we all laughed, and ha, 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 yeah, I've done that too. And then two days later, there I am. <laughs> I snapped this picture. I actually sent it to him and said, hey, it happens to the best of us. I could not believe in that moment. I was stuck. I knew better. I knew I was getting too close. But I got on the line. I crossed the line, and it was over before I knew what to do about it. 
And here's the point. I felt like a fool. I can't believe I did this again. I've been here before. I should have known better. Listen, that's the way a lot of us are in sin. It's a rut. We, yeah, man, man, I've been here again. Can't believe I'm here again. Now listen, I had options. Your first impulse when you're stuck is just to try harder. That's me, your first impulse. I'm going to get out. And the harder you try, the more stuck you get. I mean, I was slinging mud everywhere. Wheels are going. And the more those wheels turn, the worse the situation gets. Here's the point. If you're in the rut of sin, you ain't getting unstuck. You cannot get yourself unstuck. You can try harder. You can promise to do better. But you are stuck. You ain't getting unstuck. Or I had another option. It's what a lot of people do. I could get off my mower, I could walk in the house and act like it never happened. (laughs) Just look the other way. Deny it's even there. You come over to my house, two weeks later, the grass is two and a half feet tall. You're like, Pastor Phil, why is your grass so tall? I mean, your, your mower's over there, it's stuck. What's going on? And I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. My grass isn't tall, what are you talking about? I like my grass that way. No, really, it's two and a half feet tall. You need to go cut it. I mean, your mower's stuck. I don't, mower? There's no mower over there. What are you talking about? This is where a lot of people are. They deny their sin. Hey, 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And that's how a lot of people choose to deal with the guilt and the shame of sin. We're just going to deny it's even there. Don't tell me I'm an, I got a problem with alcohol. What are you talking about I got a problem with alcohol? You call me an alcoholic, I can quit anytime I want to. Don't tell me I can't sleep with my girlfriend. I'm grown up. I know what the Bible says, but I'm grown up. I'm an adult. I can do what I want to do. Don't tell me it's a sin to live in a gay or lesbian lifestyle. Don't you know society's changed? Culture's changed its mind about that. Don't tell me that's wrong. See, we just deny there's such a thing as sin. That's the world we now live in, which is why so many people are living in captivity because they choose to be stuck. I'm going to deny I'm even stuck. I'm going to deny I even have any sin. All right, you know, there's another option. Uh, I can accept the fact that I'm stuck and then do nothing about it because it's too hard and it's too much work to get unstuck. You come over to my house two weeks later. The grass is two and a half feet tall. You're like, Pastor Phil, man, what's going on? Your, your tractor's stuck over there. The grass needs mowed. And I could be like, yeah, it got stuck. I'd love to get unstuck. I'd love to mow my lawn, but I just can't. I would if I could. As I'm telling you, I've known people. I'm trying to help you. I swear I'm not trying to hurt you. But there are people, I think, that like being stuck. You've been stuck for so long, it's a way of life. You know you're stuck. You're not denying you're stuck. It's just too much work to get unstuck. And for some of us, honestly, we love rehearsing the story about how we got stuck because in some way it solicits sympathy. Yeah, I got stuck and the grass is tall and, oh, I'm so sorry, can I help you with that? See, we like that. On the other hand, if I want to get unstuck, I have to admit 
that I can't get myself unstuck. And I'm not going to deny that I'm stuck. And I'm not going to try to solicit sympathy because I'm stuck. I need to mow my grass. So I'll tell you what I did. I finally admitted I'm stuck and I'm not getting unstuck. I went and got my four-wheel drive. Needed something stronger that could pull me out. Yes, I was a fool for being there. I'm a fool. I can't believe I did this again. I should have known better, but here I am. I'm going to go get something. I'm going to pull myself out because I can't get myself out. I need a truck. Do you understand that you can't get yourself unstuck and until you quit denying that you are stuck and quit kind of secretly liking the fact that you're stuck, you're going to stay stuck the rest of your life and Satan will steal from you everything God wants to give you. Jesus alone has the the power to set you free. He has the power to break every chain, every form of bondage, no matter how strong that chain. He has the power to heal the broken heart inside of you, no matter how broken the heart is inside of you. It is time to appropriate all that Jesus secured for you when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He is alive. And here's the thing about David. He committed horrible sins. He committed sins a lot of us will never commit. But he always knew where to go. He always knew the hope of his salvation. Psalm 38, 15. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. You now have the beginning of victory. He is delivered now from not just the penalty of his sin, but the shame and the guilt of his sin. And for some of us here, today is the day. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 2, 21, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wants to deliver you from sin's penalty, sin's power, every single guilt and all the stain and all of the shame. You will fully forgive yourself when you fully believe you're forgiven by God. See, I hear people say, well, Phil, I know that God has forgiven me. I just can't forgive myself. No, the problem is, you don't know God's fully forgiven you. You know it theologically, you know it intellectually. Yeah, you can memorize the Bible and you can regurgitate the verses, but in the end, you may know it, but you don't really believe it. And I'm trying to tell you, when you are fully convinced that you are fully forgiven by God, exonerated by him, you then will be able to fully forgive yourself. Psalm 103, verse 11. This is the conclusion David came to. He wrote this psalm as well. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Go out on a starry night sky and look up and see if you can actually see See the top of the heavens. What David was saying is no more than you can see the top of the heavens. Listen, that's how far God has removed your iniquity from you. He sees it no more, and it matters not if other people see it because they are not the lover and savior of your soul. God no longer sees it, He wants you to see what He sees. He no longer sees your sin. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. Now, at a time in history where men were supposed to think the world was flat, I want you to see something. David knew something far more than the world was flat. When he used to use this metaphor, he did not use north and south. As far as the north is from the south, God has removed your transgressions from you. You know why? Because theoretically, if you start walking north, you hit the north pole, and he 
eventually you start walking south. See, north and south actually intersect. On the other hand, if you start walking east, you never start walking west. East and west never meet. And David was saying, as far as east is from the west, so God has separated you from your sin, from your shame, from your every single stain. He sees it no more. And it was on the cross of Calvary that Jesus stretched forth his hands as far as the east is from the west. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He traded places with us. He took all of our sin upon himself, all of the guilt, all of the blame so that we would not have to hang upon the cross by his stripes. We are healed. You are exonerated. You are forgiven. The holy wrath and the justice of God was satisfied in him. You are free, forgiven, exonerated, absolved. He declared you innocent of whatever happened the third week of March, 1987. Innocent. It's time to take yourself off the cross and quit flogging yourself for sins for which Jesus himself was flogged. I saw this on the news a while back. This is a real guy in the Philippines. Holy Week every, every year. He walks to the cathedral in the center of the city, and while walking to the cathedral, on Holy Week, every year, he flogs himself with a whip, a cat of nine tails. What's he doing? He's saying, you know what Jesus did is insufficient. What Jesus did is not enough. It's Jesus plus me. I have to do something. I deserve to be flogged. No, listen carefully. Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes you are healed. It's not by your stripes that you're healed. It's by his stripes you are healed. I'm not making this up. This is a real picture. He then has himself crucified He hangs himself on a cross. He has people nail him to a cross as penance for his sin. Do you understand? Nobody here, I know, would do this. Not literally. But metaphorically, you've done this for many, many years. I need to hang on this cross a little bit longer. I deserve to be here. And do you understand What you're saying, when you say, I can't forgive myself, what you're saying is what Jesus did is not enough. You're denying the sufficiency of what Jesus did at Calvary, and when Jesus said, it is finished, I'm telling you, it was finished. There's nothing more that you have to do. It is time to take yourself off of the cross, to forgive yourself. You gotta get over yourself. Your story is not all about you. It is all about Jesus. And when you quit focusing on your sin and you start focusing on the Savior, I will promise you'll be able to forgive yourself. See, we like to make it somehow about it. We like to write ourselves into the story. I mean, I, I, nothing's really for free. There's something I've got to do too. And I'm trying to tell you, church, listen, refusing to forgive yourself only reveals your own preoccupation with self. Self Self-idolatry, it masquerades and it hides and disguises itself in many ways. 
And this week, as you begin to feel the guilt and shame of sins long past committed, this week, you need to take every thought captive. You know how you begin to appropriate the freedom Jesus said I came to give you? Simply agree with God. God, you're right. I am free. I am free from lust. Yeah, I still struggle with lust, but I'm free from that stain. I'm free from the guilt. Jesus took that guilt in my place. I, I am free from that season of promiscuity. That season, the third week of March, 1987, I wish I hadn't slept around, but I did. I regret that I did, but I'm free from that stain. This is not my identity. Satan, you know my shame, but it is not my name. Yes, I've struggled with porn, but pornography is not my identity. It was nailed to the cross when Jesus bore my sin at Calvary. Jesus, thank you that you know my shame and yet you call me by my name. Divorce, I feel like a second class Christian. I feel like I wear the stigma. And God wants you to know today you're not second class as a Christian. You're not second tier as a child of God. Yes, maybe it was your fault. We all like to think it was our ex-spouse's fault. No, the truth is, for some of us here, it was at least partly your fault. Don't deny your sin. Confess your sin. God, if I could do it over, I would. But I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul who said the Philippians, forgetting those things that are behind, reaching forward to those things that are before, I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Gluttony, that is not my identity. Lying, manipulating, it's been cast into the depths of the sea. Drunkenness, that's what I was. That is not what I am. Same-sex attraction. Jesus, I choose to agree that is not my identity. I'm a child of God, and I am free. And church, I'm saying today, listen very, very carefully. In Christ, your sins are forgiven. Be free. Live in grace. Don't walk in guilt. Don't come back and go deep sea fishing. That's what a lot of people do. I know it's in there somewhere. Really, it's down there. No, I'm telling you, it's gone. I can't find it anywhere. You probably got a piece of paper when you came in. If you didn't, they're all around this platform, this auditorium. And there's actually fish tanks right here, deep sea fish tanks, and, and over there, and at your campus where you are. I encourage you to do something, because when we put our faith in motion, there's something happens when you put it into action. I want you to take that third week of March, 1987, that sin that has been your source of shame. I want you to write it on that paper sometime today, maybe right now. Put it in the sea. Cast it into the depths of the sea before you leave. If you're watching online, you ought to go to your bathroom, get some toilet paper, <laughs> write it on the toilet paper, flush it down the toilet, the depths of the sea. I'm telling you, church, God loves you. The Son of God loves you. And your sin does not change how God your Father feels about you. Be free. Jesus, I pray for every person, God, today to walk in that freedom, free from the guilt, free from the shame.
Because Jesus, you bore our sin. You took our blame. You rose from the dead to give us life abundantly, life everlasting. Be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give him the glory with me, church? Praise him, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.